give us ears to receive what the Spirit of the Lord has for us on this day. Holy Spirit, have free reign even now. Reveal, teach, correct. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone did say amen. All right, let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. Amen. Good morning. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. All right. We have been ministering for the last little while concerning this area of faith and particularly looking at this aspect of faith, which is the area of hope. But this morning we want to start at Mark chapter number nine, Mark chapter number nine. And we're going to focus in on verse number 23. But I want if you have your regular Bibles or you have an ability to look back a little bit, I want you to pay attention a little bit into the totality of the chapter in Mark chapter number nine. Jesus just was on the mountain of transfiguration. Moses and Elijah appeared and Peter and some of the disciples and John that were on the mountain of transfiguration saw Jesus in his glory. Now, after Jesus comes down off of the mountain of transfiguration, he sees the disciples that didn't go up on the mountain having an issue with some of the townsfolk down the hill, if you will. And the scripture says in verse number 19, <clears throat> It, well, let's back up a little bit. It talks about the fact that the disciples essentially were, were doing what Jesus told them to do, essentially go out and proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick. And a father brought his son to his disciples for healing because that was an issue that he was having. In fact, he was having, according to the scriptures, areas of convulsion that was taking place in his life. And so when Jesus appears and shows down, shows up, off of the mountain, he sees his disciples dealing with this issue with the father. And notice what he says in verse number 19. He says, he answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Then he says, essentially, bring him to me. Verse number 20, he says, and they brought him, the little boy, that the father brought to the disciples, they brought this little boy to Jesus. And he saw, when he saw him, straightway the spirit teared him and he fell on the ground and willowed foaming. In other words, as soon as the spirit that was in that boy saw Jesus, he started to react and the boy started having a convulsion. Now notice this though. Verse 21 says, and he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came upon him and he said and he said of the of a child verse 22 how and oftentimes uh he has cast himself into the fire so essentially he says this has been happening pretty much since he was born and from time to time he will have this convulsions that will cast him into the fire he have the convulsion that will cast him into the water and jesus said verse 23 and jesus said this is where we're picking up Verse number 23, Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. 
And straightway, verse 24 says, and straightway the father and the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thy my unbelief. Now, how this story goes, essentially, which is very interesting, is that the disciples are operating in the power of God as designated and determined by Jesus. But they come across a situation that's challenging to what they see. You can imagine that while Jesus is on the mountain of transfiguration, the other people brought their disciples, or they brought their children, they brought themselves to the disciples because the power of God was flowing. But there was an issue with this particular situation whereby nothing seemed to manifest as quickly as the other situations they had seen in the past. And Jesus says, very interesting, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with thee? I imagine that what was taking place is that the same thing that the child did in the presence of Jesus, they did, he did in the presence of the disciples. As soon as the disciples went to go lay hands and cast out the devil, he convulsed. He started reacting. Certain things begin to happen. And when Jesus shows up, the same thing happens. He convulses. Things begin to go bad. They go from bad to worse when Jesus showed up. Now, the disciples, on the other hand, they were moved by what they saw. And Jesus, on the other hand, says, no, oh, faithless generation, how long am I got to show you how to do this thing? Now, notice this right here really quick as we keep going down. Verse 25, it says, and when Jesus saw the people came running together, watch the word, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more unto him. Now, notice this verse 26. I know I'm a little bit off slides, but we're just going to go on. Notice verse 26. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as a dead. He was as dead inasmuch that many said he is dead. So what happened essentially is Jesus spoke to the situation. And by everybody else's account, it got worse. The boy convulsed. He moved and then he fell flat as if he was very, as if he was dead, according to the scripture. Now, I want you to notice something right here that Jesus spoke to the situation. He didn't go lay hands on it. He didn't go uh, cast it out by maybe some of the other methods he might have used in the past. He spoke to the situation and the situation changed, but it didn't seem like it got better. It seemed like it got worse. But notice this, verse 27, Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Verse 28, and when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, notice the word privately, why could uh, we cast him out? Why couldn't this happen for us? Verse 29, he said unto them, this kind comes forth uh, by nothing but prayer and fasting. What is he indicating to us? This kind only comes out by prayer, which is a time with God, and fasting, which is a separation of the flesh. He said, essentially, everything that you saw was correct, but you started to get to an area of unbelief when it did not manifest the same way it did in previous times. That's why Jesus says, oh, faithless generation." Because they, the disciples, were moved more by what they saw as opposed to what Jesus told them or what he said. 
Jesus shows and he illustrates how you walk by faith. That he wasn't moved when the boy started convulsing. He wasn't moved by when the boy fell and he looked like he was dead on the floor. He wasn't moved by anything except what he said. He said, come out and it manifested. There is something that God woke me up this morning and it dropped in my heart is that there are things in this church that are going to begin moving. We, I believe this is the year of progression. And one of the things that I kept hearing on the inside of me this morning is get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. I almost heard, you know, the way Bishop Jakes used to say back in the day, get ready, get ready, get, 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 get ready. There are things that are happening. But we got to understand this particular concept about faith because, because just because things are happening doesn't necessarily mean the first thing that you will see is things get better. The first thing sometimes that you see is things actually look like they are getting worse. And during that time, it's important that we make sure that we have our hope and our faith, if you will, rooted in God. Now look here, Mark chapter 9 and verse 23, our foundational text, as we see Jesus speaking to the Father, he says, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believes, which means that Jesus puts a caveat on the ability or the what's impossible in your situation. He says all things are possible, not just for everybody, but he says for them that believe. The situation is getting ready to turn around, but he says you got to maintain in your area of faith. Luke chapter 1 and verse 37. We understand this is essentially the story of Mary. Mary. She receives a word from Gabriel that she's going to conceive Jesus the Christ. And notice it says that Gabriel says to Mary, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, Jesus said himself, if you can believe all things are possible to him that believes. And he says, uh, Gabriel says by word of God to Mary, for nothing shall be impossible. Nothing uh, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Now, look here at Ephesians chapter three in verse number 20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 20. And that's the reason why this morning some things, you know, when I'm looking back didn't really surprise me. Because if God is saying get ready, get ready, get ready. You know, we might have to get ready with some new equipment. <laughs> Amen. There are some things that are going to have to shift. And there's some things that are going to have to make adjustments for what God is getting ready to do in the life of this church. And even what God's getting ready to do in the life of your individual life. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20, it says, Now unto him who, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above that we ask or think, according, watch this, to the power that worketh within us. He says, Now unto him who is able. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. He says, according to the power that worketh within us. Now, we look at that scripture and we say, yes, amen. And we even sometimes use this as a benediction. God is able. We sing songs about the ability of God. But he says there is once again a caveat. Abundantly above all we ask or think. Sounds very similar to if you can believe. 
all things are possible for him that believe. He says he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. So God indicates here that there is a limitation to God's ability within our life. And it's not on God. It's based on your asking and your thinking capacity. God can exceed what you ask. God can exceed what you think. But if it's already low, maybe that's the reason why you're not seeing great things in your life. Because your thinking is lower than where God needs it to be. And so what God oftentimes does in our life, he spends a lot of time exposing us. He spends a lot of time placing us in positions in different areas of our life so that when we begin to ask, our asking begins to rise. Our thinking begins to rise. And then God says, great, now that you are thinking the way I want you to think, I'm going to exceed that. Now watch this out of the uh, New International Version of the Bible. It says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. This word think is used here as the word imagine. The word think also means to comprehend. It means to heed, it means to consider, it means to perceive, it means to understand. God has the ability to do more than what you currently understand. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all or more than what you're able to comprehend at this moment. But that does not mean you should not be comprehending some things. There are some things that you should be comprehending for God to be able to exceed in your life. Maybe that's the reason why God will put us in those situations. And he'll allow you to see maybe this house or this situation or this job or this situation right here. Because he said, I want you to see it because I'm going to exceed that. But the more you begin to see that, then your asking again will grow. Your praying will begin to grow. Your thinking capacity will begin to grow. And I am tasked to tell you this morning that where we are going as a church, where you're going in your life individually, it will require faith. If this is, I believe, the year of progression, everything that's connected to what God has for you is going to require faith. And so we have been tasked to talk about what, in fact, is faith. But we, again, we want to weigh uh, in the way of review, look at this area of what's so important about faith. What's so important about faith? Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38. If faith is so such a great, important subject that we need to talk about, then let's examine again what's so important about faith. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 38 says, now the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Just shall live by faith. Romans 1 verse 17. The just shall live by faith. Galatians 3 verse 11. The just shall live by faith. And in Hebrews 10 verse 38. The just shall live by faith. Then he says. But if any man draw back my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Verse 39. In other words. If the person that's living by faith decides to turn away tomorrow, that means that I'm not going to get pleasure from your life. You decided you're going to be all in with Jesus today, but not tomorrow. Well, one, you're a wishy-washy person up and down. And God says, you're not living by faith and you can't please me. I'm getting ahead of myself. He says, verse 30, 20, 39, but we do not, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe. 
We are of them that believe. That means that God is able to do the impossible in our lives because we are a people that believe to the saving, he says, of our soul. So we've indicated to you in the past what's so important about faith. Number one, interest into the kingdom is because of faith. Salvation comes through faith. For by grace are ye saved, notice the term, through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Faith, it becomes important because he says the just shall live by faith, which means that faith is a command. It is not a suggestion whether or not you're going to live by faith. If you're going to be a kingdom citizen, if you're going to do what God has assigned for you to do, the just shall live by faith. Everybody, everybody shall live by faith. He says over in Hebrews uh, 11 verse 6, but without faith it's impossible to please him. It's impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must, watch the term again, believe that he is and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Which means you cannot, number three, please God apart from faith. So faith becomes a vitally important subject that you have a refresher in. And that's really what I've been calling this series that we're in right now, Faith Refreshers. Because of the fact where God is taking us as a church, where God is taking you in your individual life, it's going to require faith. Don't be surprised when it does require faith because he says the just shall live, must live, have to live by faith. And so we've been defining faith out of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number one. Hebrews 11 in verse number one, he says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, indicating to you that first faith is always in the now. It is energetic. It is dynamic. It is working. It is effective. It is alive. Faith is always in the now. If you said, I used to believe, that means that you are no longer in faith. God wants you to transform your thinking to, yes, I believe right now. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible unto them that believe. So my faith always is active. Doesn't mean that I might be seeing anything right now, but he says, no, stay in the position of faith, which means I believe that I receive now. I'm not saying anything. I believe that I receive now. It's always in the active stance. It's always in the now. The scripture goes on to say it is the substance. And we indicated to you that faith has a composition. Faith has a composition. It's a combination or a mixture of something. Faith, he says, of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It is the uh, substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, which indicates to us it is a compound word. It is a substance. It is a mixture of these two particular elements. And I have to have both in its proper seat in order to have what we define as Bible faith. So we've said that hope essentially is an aspiration of the good. Hope is an aspiration, it is an ambition, it is a yearning, it is a righteous longing, it's a righteous craving for the good. And one of the things we need to understand particularly about this area of hope is that hope is assessed by two particular elements. Hope is assessed by two elements. 
Belief in ability and belief in character. Belief in ability and belief in character. When I meet somebody for the first time and I have a perhaps a positive disposition towards them, I have a hope in their ability and a hope in their character that they're going to be a good person, that they're going to have certain abilities uh, within our lives together. Now notice this though, I want you to notice this in Hebrews 11 verse 11. It says, through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And she delivered and was delivered of a child when she was past age because, watch the term, she judged him faithful who had promised. Who's she talking about? She's talking about God. He, she judged God faithful who had promised. In other words, she looked at her life and she began in this. When God said that you're going to have a child, at one point, in fact, the Bible says that Sarah laughed. But she gets back into this area of faith because she starts looking at God who's already done certain things in her life. So she is she's satisfied with the fact that God has ability. And then she's satisfied with the character or his characteristics towards her that, yes, I can now put my hope in God. In other words, I can put my trust in God because I trust his ability and I trust his character towards me. When I look at ability, do I think that this person, this God that I am following has the capacity, the proficiency or the expertise to do what he said he could do? One of the reasons why a lot of people are never hoping God is because they haven't really gotten to know him. Now, one of the things you'll see also in the New Testament where uh, healing is concerned is that Jesus encounters a number of people that come to him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me whole. It's a question not of ability, but it's a question of character. I know you have the capacity to, Lord. I know you have the proficiency to, Lord. I know you have the expertise to do so, Lord. But I need the answer to whether or not you will do it for me. And I'm telling you, in the life of your, uh, of the believer in your own particular life, these things have got to be satisfied in your knowing that I know that God has ability, but I know his character because I'm getting to know him. Can you do what you said? Question of character has to do with do you believe their character, their personality, their disposition, and their nature? Do I think you keep your word? Well, we have a problem in regards to that if I don't really know God. If I don't know God, I don't know whether he keeps his word or not because I don't know his word. And that's part of the reason why, once again, we stay out of the area or the arena of faith. It's because we don't really know what God particularly said concerning my situation. I hope that indeed his character towards me is good, but I don't really know yet. I hope that his position towards me is positive, but I'm not sure yet. I'm, I hope, in other words, it's very abstract in this area of hope. But the issue, what I said last week, is if you don't even begin in this area of hoping that God has a good outlook for you, then we have an issue. Getting you acquainted with who God is, getting you acquainted with God as your heavenly father, then becomes the first task in a lot of ways in regards to walking this journey of faith so that you know that, yeah, he does have good intents for me. 
that God does care about my family, that God cares about those individual issues in my life. And once we get that in its proper seat, then we can move to this next area of evidence. What is evidence? It is one or more reasons for believing that something is true or not true. Evidence, once again, is one or more reasons for believing that something is true or not true. It is proof. It is substantiation. It is evidence is sufficient to establish a thing as true, valid or real. So now I begin in this area of hope. I hope he does. I hope God has good intents for me. He's my heavenly father. I've received him. He's my Abba God. I hope he does. But that still in and of itself is not Bible faith. Now it's important that we have that. And that's the reason why I spent two sessions talking about the importance and the significance of having hope in our life. But hope by itself is not Bible faith. And there are a lot of believers that have moved to this area of hoping that God does certain things, but they don't know because they have not watched the term. Once again, has sufficient evidence to establish something as true, valid or real. One or more reasons for believing that something is true or not true. He says faith is the substance of things hoped for, element number one. And it is the evidence of things not seen. So once again, evidence is that which points back to what is. It is a reason for believing something. It is the act or the process of establishing or providing the truth of something. I've said before in the past, when we think in terms of evidence today, we think in terms of maybe the police having not been at the scene of the crime, collecting all of the different pieces to point back to a bigger picture of something. I know in the world of academics, you know, this is one of the reasons why some people don't go to college because they like to just say stuff and just let it ride. But in the world of academics, you got to prove it. You can't just say, I said this, because the first thing they're going to say is, do you have your master's? Do you have your doctorate degree? Well, that means you're not the authority in that particular arena. So what we need you to do is go back and find proof to substantiate what you are declaring. I need you to go prove it. I need you to show where did you get that from. You might have an original concept, but your original concept comes from different elements of thought. This is one of the issues that I have in regards to so many Christians looking for a new word. We want new. We want to hear a new word from God. I want new, new, new. And what begins to happen is when you are always seeking new and you don't even know what God has already said, you open yourself for the devil to say, oh, I got something to show you. I got something that'll tickle your ears. I got something that'll tickle your fancy. And you get off into these areas of heresy or you get off in these areas of being too extreme on one side and not walking this proper balance in regards to your life of faith. This is how many Christians get off because a false balance, the Bible says, is an abomination. They get off because they get too heavy over on this side and they get into a ditch or they get too heavy on that side and they get into a ditch and it needs to be right down the middle. There's some validation in both points of view. Again, when we are talking about evidence, we have to look for what is written. 
And one of the things we need to understand, particularly about God, is that God responds to this area of faith. In other words, God does not respond to you just because you are crying. God does not respond to you just because you are shouting a certain kind of way. God does not respond to you because you have a boisterous voice. God does not respond to you because you have a very outgoing personality. God does not respond to you because you are an introverted person. God does not respond to you for any other reason other than the fact he responds to a person that operates according to faith. In order to operate according to faith, that means, yeah, thank God you got hope, but you got to have some evidence of what he said. And he says, he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does that mean? That God says, I gave the system of how things operate. And it is through this system called faith, which means, yeah, it takes some time getting into the word, collecting the promises of God and saying, God, I put you in remembrance of what you said. Look over here, Romans chapter two and verse 11. Now the amplified version of the Bible, Romans chapter two and verse 11, scripture says, for God shows no partiality, no arbitrary favor, favoritism with him, one person, is not more important than the other. Thank God for that. Because, you know, I mean, even as a minister, there are some preachers, dear God, they got, a, they got this voice that's so great and wonderful and powerful. There are some preachers, man, give them a mic, they can sing, they can teach, they can do it all. But God doesn't respond to them any different than he responds to me in my gifts and what I have to work with. Because God doesn't show partiality towards anyone. He responds to faith. Let's look over here at Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. Peter was thinking at one point in time because he, he was correct under the old covenant. God did show favoritism, if you will, or partiality towards the nation of Israel under the old covenant. The partiality, the favor that he was showing towards Israel was based on the old covenant. But in the new covenant, we've all been brought in as children of God. And Peter had to get this revelation. He says, I amplify, opening his mouth, Peter said, most certainly I understand now. That God is not one to show partiality to people as though Gentiles were excluded from God's promise. But he says, verse 35, but in every nation of every nation, the person who fears God and does what is right by seeking him is accepted and welcomed by him. God does not respond to you based on the emotions. He responds to you based on faith. Now, don't get me wrong. God does wipe every tear away from your eye. But one of the reasons why when, when you get done wiping the tear, you don't see anything that's happening. is because you still got to operate by faith. Now, it might seem in one, in one arena, you know, kind of cruel. But if you think about it, God has a lot of children out here. And if you cry a certain way and he just moves on your behalf because you're crying a certain kind of way, he's showing favoritism. If you can sing a certain kind of way and I can't sing at all, he's showing favoritism to you. So God says, I don't do that. I treat all of my kids exactly the same. All of my children exactly the same, which means I treat them in accordance to what I declared in my word. The just shall live by faith. So if I want to see God's hand move in my life, I need to find out the insignificance and the importance of what the promises of God are. In other words, I need to collect some evidence. 
I need to collect some evidence of what God said in his word. I need to collect some evidence of what his promises are towards me and my house. I need to collect some evidence. My God, notice how Paul says, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's declaring something based on some evidence. Let's keep going. Faith, therefore, means leaving the dictates of the senses to believe truth. Faith means leaving the dictates of the senses to believe truth. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. The New Living Translation says it like this, for we live by believing and not by seeing. So if I'm going to walk by faith, it requires that I leave in my singular reliance on what I see. This goes back to what we see in Mark chapter 9. The disciples, they, 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 I bet they spoke to the little boy just like Jesus did. The little boy fell on the ground, had a convulsion. They're like, oh, oh what are we going to do? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> and they're freaking out by based on what they saw. Jesus walks into the same situation and he sees the situation. He speaks to it and he's not a bit more moved by what he sees. Because if you're going to walk by faith, it means that you have to leave the realm of being governed completely by what you see. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm moved by what I believe. What I see might fluctuate until my faith begins to manifest. What I see may change. See, this is, what, this is the reason why I've been assigned this because when you go to the pump and you look at the gas prices, you might say, oh Jesus, my faith says, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Well, do you have it in the account? Yeah, you got it in the account. Well, go and pump you some gas and quit complaining. Did he already supply it for you? And stop opening your mouth in agreement with the community and the news saying, oh, these prices are so high. I don't know how we're going to pay for it. Not for you, child of God. If God knew the prices were going to go up, that means that God is able to exceed what you're asking. He's able to give you promotion. He's able to give you increase in your life to be able to take care of you in the midst of that current situation. Again, we have got to get this concept in this place that we stop acting like the world. And we love to go around and talk about the bigness of our God to sinners. We like to talk about the bigness of our God when we want to be religious. But when you're at that pump or you, when you're at an impossible situation, do you still believe in the bigness of your God? Faith means I leave the dictates of the senses to believe true. My God shall supply all of my needs. You either believe that or you don't. So essentially, and we'll, we'll, we'll go into this a little bit further on Thursday. If I'm going to walk by faith, we have to understand these concepts of what faith in fact is. What faith is. A couple years ago, God gave this to me, and so I've been tasked to minister this again. Faith is, I want you to understand this, a relationship. Faith is a lifestyle. Faith is a journey. A mindset, faith is a spiritual force. It's a relationship. It's a lifestyle. It's a journey. It's a mindset. And I like the way it's a, a mind, my mind is set. 
It is a spiritual force. First element is that faith is always intrinsically relational. One of the reasons why your faith begins to break down is because you really are displaying a lack of trust in God. Natural examples when we talk about in terms of faith, when you came in this morning, you sat down on the chair. I didn't see one person look under the chair to see whether or not the legs were sturdy. I didn't see one person look under to see whether or not the cushions were right. I didn't see anybody do any of these kind of things. You came in and you sat down because you trusted the chair's ability to uphold you. Because perhaps maybe you've been here before and you got a relationship with that particular seat. He ain't let you down before. Now I promise you if you come in next week and you sit in that chair and it puts you on the floor, next time you're going to start looking at it. You're going to start examining to see is it rocking, is something going on. Because last time I sat down, I fell on the floor. My relationship with this chair has changed because I had a fall. And so many times, this is the issue where people have. They had what they had was hope and not faith. And they fell in life. Now they're looking at God saying, what happened? Our relationship begins to break down. And a lot of times God says, no, we got to reset the system. What you had in this proper seat was hope, which is the abstract, but you never found evidence. And when you didn't have evidence, you didn't have both parts of the component in its proper seat, and it didn't produce faith in your life. You had hope that this was going to happen, and you heard somebody else say something based on the word. Well, you don't know where that scripture is. You don't know what you're standing on, but you're saying, yeah, what they said, and you're not getting what they got, and you're getting mad with God. Both elements have to be in its proper seat. You are responding based on a relationship that you heard somebody else have with God and not based on what you know. Faith begins with relationship. Everything that you do operates off of relationship. The covenant that you enter into in marriage is a relational covenant of faith that I believe that you're going to be here for me for the rest of my day. Till death do we part. The relationship that you have with God has to have this core element of relationship or the faith aspect. Let me give you this and then we're going to close and we'll pick up here on again on Thursday. Practical application. Watch this. Faith, number one, is a lifestyle you choose to live and not a moment you choose to have. Faith is a lifestyle that you choose to live. The just shall live by faith. It is not a moment you choose to have. Christians, believers, family, we don't walk by faith in moments. We walk by faith all the time. Dare I say, if I can use the term I just used a minute ago, it's a relationship with God that is consistently going on in my life. So that when I'm faced with an issue, I'm not trying to start from the beginning. I have developed in my relationship with God to know that God will for me. Number two, whatever God calls you to fulfill will require faith. So you need to go ahead and get over it. Whatever God calls you to fulfill will require faith. Now, don't get me wrong. Now, if you call yourself to something, it won't. Now, a lot of people like to call what they're doing. I'm walking by faith. No, you're walking based on what the job gave you, based on what the check says. Because the moment your boss says jump, you're going to add ha ha. The moment this happens in your life, you're going to say, because you responded based on the circumstances and you're calling it faith. So at some point in time, what's going to begin to happen in every believer's life is that God is going to start asking the question, am I Lord or ain't I? <laughs> this is my, my, my English. 
Am I God? Am I Lord of your life? Or is the job the Lord of your life? Am I Lord of your life? Or this circumstance Lord of your life? Who is the most high God in your life? Because everything that God calls you to will require faith. Which means, number three, faith means you will have unanswered questions. If everything in your life, it requires that you walk by faith, and it's supposed to be a lifestyle and not a moment, that means there are going to be so many times in your life where you don't know how this is going to all fit together. I don't know how that part goes with this part. I have evidence of the fact that God's for me. I have evidence that he'll supply my needs, but I don't know how these pieces are going to fit together, and I have to lean on God. There's going to be multiple times in your life where you're sitting out there in the middle of the night saying, Lord, what in the world? What's, what's going on? He says, right, this is where you got to trust me. This is not an unusual place for the believer. In fact, this is a normal place. And when you listen to uh, somebody give a testimony, particularly I love how listening to preachers. And uh, I got to listening to some preachers some days and they were talking about how God took their church from this point to that church point and how God did this. And if you listen to them carefully, you'll begin to think, man, they just always knew how this was going to work. When in reality, they are talking about what God did looking back. Because when you look back, you can see how he put me here and he put me there. How he did this and how he did that. And how he ordered every one of my steps. Well, when you look forward, you're like, now how is this going to happen, God? I listen to my mentor at times and I listen to his stories and, and he's been in the ministry uh, with this church for 40 years. He can tell all kind of wonderful stories looking back. But he says at times, looking forward, no, it didn't look like that. It looked like it wasn't going to work. It didn't look like anything was going to manifest. It didn't look like we were going to make it. But God, faith is to have a sense that, no, I'm going to trust you, God, over whatever the circumstances say. Your word to me speaks louder than what I see because what I see is subject to change based on the word you said. And so as an act of my will, God, I choose to believe you and not respond to that. My faith doesn't change. My attitude doesn't change. My disposition doesn't change because this is showing God I believe you. I believe what you said. I believe the word that you gave me. And so, God, if you are able to do this for me, just like you said, then I'll have a new testimony. And I'll tell somebody else so they can be encouraged as well. And I'll have a new journey on this. I'll have a new place of understanding on this walk of faith that, yes, God can do this in my life becomes a blessing to other people the relationship of faith let's pray father we honor you and we bless you for this opportunity to have gotten into your word on this morning we give you praise we give you glory we thank you lord that we walk by faith and not by sight we thank you lord that we're just going to get ready like you said in every area in every arena of our life god we're going to get ready we thank you lord that the best is yet to come and so, Lord, we're not going to be moved by what we see, but we're going to be moved by what you said. And so we choose as an act of our will to stay in a position of faith. We thank you, Lord, that we'll not put our mouth on our life and our situation to speak against it. But we'll only say what you said. And we'll see what you said. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone did say amen. 
I want to admonish you once again that the month of March, we are reading through the book of John. Reading through the book of John. We will probably have a book assignment every month of this year. As this is the training center or the Institute for Biblical Comprehension and Understanding. Uh, literacy and Comprehension. Amen. And so one of the things we need to understand, particularly about the book of John, that stands out is that one is that John defines Jesus in a way that perhaps some of the others do not. He gives nine truth claims about who Jesus is. He says that I am the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus says, I am the Christ, the Messiah. He says, I'm the bread of life. He says, I am the truth. He says, I am the I am. He says, I am the light of the world. He declares, I am the good shepherd. He says, I'm the son of God. I am the resurrection and the life. He says, I am the way. The interesting thing about John is how he defines this because it's not defined quite this clearly in some of the other witnesses of Matthew, Luke, and Mark. John puts it right out there how Jesus declares who he is. And as I've said in the past, and I'll say again, one of the reasons why we're reading the book of John is because there's a lot of stuff going on today that's saying that Jesus is just a way to God. Well, you can't believe that Jesus is a way to God when Jesus declared a whole lot about who he was and who he is. He says, I am the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. That means there ain't nobody else. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. So you got to make a line between whether or not you believe this or not. That means if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that means there is no other way to him. There's no other way to God. I see one of the things that uh, is popular on uh, the bumper stickers on people's cars is you see maybe coexist. And it has... The different symbols of the different religions and I say again to believers you either believe what he says or you don't Jesus says I'm the only way to God the only that, that we don't share there's only one way to God and so because this is truth everything else has to be a deception and not true if you believe what Jesus said. And so this is part of the reason why we're reading through the book of John is because John's witness, particularly of who Jesus is, is very distinct and very representative of who he is. And we will probably follow up the book of John, 21 chapters of 31 days, with the book of 1 John, where he begins to define who we are in Christ Jesus. And how, how much God, in fact, loves us. You see John chapter 3, where he, he talks about the circumstance with Nicodemus. And he says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And then First John begins to pick that notion up and talk about who we are once we receive him. From that old nature to the renewed person in Christ Jesus. All of these things flow together. And of course, at this church, we read the Bible. Amen. We read the Bible. We encourage you to read the Bible. All right. Praise the Lord. Well, it's giving time. It's giving time. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse number 9. Once again says, Honor the Lord with your wealth 
and with the first fruit of all your crops, it's the amplified version, or your income. He says, then your barns will be abundantly filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. He says, honor the Lord, honor the Lord, and then your barns shall be abundantly filled. The classic amplifies says, honor the Lord with your capital and sufficiency from righteous labors, which means when you go to work, your righteous labors, honor God with it. And with the first fruit of all of your income, verse number 10 out of the classic amplified says, so shall your storage places be filled with plenty. See, this is when we're talking about getting evidence concerning the, the, the heart of God, getting evidence. This is where we go back and say, God, I take this opportunity from my righteous labor to honor you with my income. I honor you with my tithes and my offering. And Lord, I put you in remembrance of your word that you said, when you honor you first, you declare that so shall your storage places be filled with plenty. So Father, I put you in remembrance of your word. I look at my account. Father, I thank you that my account is filled with plenty. I thank you, Lord, that my vats overflow with new wine, which means you give me ideas and concepts. The wisdom of God flows because I first start with honoring you. And Lord, I put you in remembrance of your, this is how faith looks. And you say, well, I look at the account, look exactly the same. Thank you, God. I believe that I receive abundance in my income. Thank you, God. I believe I receive an abundance in my account because I honor you first. And you don't move off of what you see. You move off of what he said. This is what faith looks like. Honor God first is the key to being abundantly supplied. Three ways that you can give to the training center. One way is by way of the P.O. Box number. Second way is by way of our cash app. Third way is by way of, uh, what did I say, uh, our online giving, of course, through our website. And of course, you can get live and in the house. All seeds and all gifts are received from this into this ministry. And we thank God for the people of God sowing into this ministry. We believe that this church is good ground. I believe that the best is yet to come in the life of this church. And I want to go ahead and admonish and encourage all those that are assigned to get here to get here in Jesus' name. Because there is a work to do. There's a work to do in this community. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's set ourselves in agreement for with those that are going to sow on this morning and have sown also online and in other places. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we thank you that we receive the seeds and the gifts of your people. Father, we thank you that according to your word, as we give our tithes and sow our offerings, God, we thank you, Lord, that the window of heavens open up over our lives. Thank you, Lord, that because we honor you, we walk in abundance so that our accounts are filled. We thank you, Lord, that you have rebuked the devourer for our sake. We thank you, Lord, that we are abundantly supplied for every good work because of what you said. Thank you, Lord. We are cheerful, prompt to do it givers. So we just put you in remembrance of your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we are abundantly supplied and we declare in our house all is well. I declare over every member and every partner that sows into this ministry, Lord, the favor of God rest on them. That your anointing rest on them. That you open up doors for them, God. That you give them ideas and concepts. Lord, that your wisdom flows in their lives. 
I give you praise and I give you glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.